Good morning, everyone. I've spent a good part of my time while in COVID-19 shutdown continuing my study in Ecclesiastes, and we'll tell you some more about that in a little bit. How many of you listened to the uh, Word from the Lord message I did last week? Okay, a couple. Um, what I'd like to teach today is, a, that was kind of a four-minute version of what I'd like to expand and teach today. It's something that God showed me that I think is, is very interesting, and, and this will probably be my last message out of Ecclesiastes before we move on to something new and different, but I think it's a, a great summary. Um, Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon very late in life after he'd pretty much wasted his life trying to find happiness in all the world's ways. He tried wine, women, song, riches, knowledge, power, hoarding possessions, the list goes on and on. We talked about this in previous times I've taught. Early in his life, he pictured Christ on the throne, but late in life, he pictured the Antichrist turning completely from God to false idols and completely from God's ways to self-worship. Ecclesiastes is God's perfect example of how not to live your life. But interestingly, God's shown me in the Bible that the Bible does provide a perfect opposite to that, and that is the example of Paul in the New Testament. He lived his life almost exactly opposite to Solomon. So I'd like to do a comparison today between King Solomon and St. Paul. Solomon focused his life on making himself happy, while Paul focused on having a joyful and fulfilling life. Also, interestingly, it's a comparison that much of this comes as a comparison of Ecclesiastes to Ephesians. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray you're with us today. I pray you help us focus, help me to speak clearly, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you show us how to focus our lives. We just sang how, how our whole life is, is about Jesus and telling others about that. But do we really live that, Lord? I pray, I pray you show us the, the huge need to do that and resist the temptations of this world and, and keep us on track serving you despite all the distractions Kenny spoke of, despite all the distractions of the, the shiny things of this world. I just pray, Lord, that you let us see how Paul lived his life seeking joy in the fulfillment that you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the comparison between the two, the similarities between Solomon and Paul, both were chosen by God leaders of, as leaders of God before they received wisdom or revelation from God. Both personally heard from God at the beginning of their ministries. Both received direct instructions from God. Solomon received wisdom to be king and rule over his people. Paul received revelation from God of the spiritual kingdom the gospel to the Gentiles in the context of Ephesians is to reveal the mystery of the church and God in us. Solomon and Paul were both in their way to build a temple. Solomon was to build the physical temple in Jerusalem, which he did. You can read about in 1 Kings chapters 5 and 6. Paul was to reveal the spiritual temple of God in us. You can see that in Ephesians 2.21, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Both were chosen by God to write significant sections of Scripture. Both very publicly blessed God in front of others, at least Solomon through his early life, and Paul throughout his entire life. Both were to lead God's people in growing a kingdom. Solomon, by formalizing the physical capital, capital of the physical kingdom of heaven in Israel, and Paul, by revealing the mystery of the church, 
and on building the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom that's in believers. And if you remember, the goal of the kingdoms is God's going to bring both of them together at the end of times when Christ returns after the second coming, and they will both be here on earth, the physical and the spiritual. It's interesting that, that both groups tend to ignore the opposite. The Jews ignored the, phys- the spiritual kingdom, and the Gentiles tend to ignore the physical kingdom. Now, the contrast between Solomon and Paul. Both were prisoners. Solomon of his flesh. Ecclesiastes 2.10 says, Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withhold not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of my labor. Realize, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. He definitely had the first five books of the Bible, as well as probably Job. And he'd sat at the feet of his father, David, who wrote and played the Psalms. How do you get off track with that kind of start? Paul was a prisoner of Jesus Christ and his mission. You see that over and over and over, like Ephesians uh, 3, 1 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, whereof I was made minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 6.19 goes on to say, And for me that utterance may given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul used the word bonds in 13 places in his writings in the New Testament and prisoner of Christ five more times. Both were seeking to be fulfilled. Solomon spent his life seeking the physical fulfillment of the world. Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 10 says, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made pools of water to water wherewith the wood that bringeth forth. I got me servants and maidens and silver and gold. And the list goes on and on and on. Kind of concludes this section saying, And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion in all my labor. But Paul, by contrast, spent his life seeking the spiritual fullness of God. Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all fullness of God. In Philippians, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. In children, Solomon had many physical children. Paul had many physical children. In ministry outreach, Solomon sat in, on his throne and expected the world to come to him. Paul went out into the world and turn the world upside down, the Bible says. Both Solomon and Paul were focused on dealing with the flesh. Solomon, on trying to fulfill his flesh, Paul instructed us and lived to crucify the flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Ephesians 2 Three, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, 
and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we can continue to see this, this contrast between Ecclesiastes and Ephesians. Worldly possessions, Solomon had virtually everything he wanted. Paul had very few possessions, but was very fulfilled. In fact, he often was very poor. At times he had to, to earn his own keep as he ministered in the cities as he was a missionary going out. Philippians 4.12 says, And I both know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul was highly educated. He was from a rich family. He grew up in Jerusalem. He could have been very successful in this world, but he gave that up to be very successful for the kingdom of God. It didn't hurt that God kind of grabbed him and said, hey, dude, I got a job for you. (laughs) The value of time. Solomon spent his time on himself and in the end considered time vanity. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, But if any man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. The dude's the king of the superpower of the world. It's all a waste. Ephesians, Paul by contrast says, he understood the shortness of time and the necessity to redeem the time. Ephesians 5, uh, 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, notice what he calls us sometimes, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the self is. Is that what it says? Ooh, what's it say? Mm-hmm. The powerful summary of each, each man's life written in their own words. Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, and I can pull probably five more sections out of Ecclesiastes that go through this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanities of vanities. All is vanity. 2.17, therefore I hated life because of the work that's wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Realize Solomon had more opportunity to impact the world than, than Paul did as king of the superpower nation, or at least as much. Grew up under the feet of David, educated, had anything he wanted. All is vanity. Paul's life summary, you can see in 2 Timothy 4, it says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all of life fellowship that also love his appearing. Editorial insertion. Solomon felt he had lost everything. Paul thought that he had gained everything through a life serving Christ. Philippians 3.8 says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Oh, but we love our things. Don't we? Solomon 
wrote about a life he lived for himself, seeking to be happy. Paul wrote about a life he had surrendered to Christ, seeking fulfillment. So that brings us to investigate a second contrast, happiness versus joy. At the end of his life, Solomon finally realized that he had pretty much wasted his entire life trying to be happy. It's important to realize happiness and joy are completely different things. Both are wonderful to experience, but only one gives fulfillment and true meaning to life. Happiness tends to be externally triggered and is based on other people, things, places, thoughts, and events. Things that make you happy are really nice, but at the end of your life when you look back, you don't list those as the things that made your life meaningful or important. Things like hanging out with friends, earning lots of money, buying a new house or car, even a chief Super Bowl win. Those are nice, aren't they? But when you're 70, <laughs> 80, you don't like the Chiefs? No. <laughs> Heretic. No. You know, these are all nice, but when you get 70, 80, 90 years old and look back on your life, none of those are going to be listed as your, your accomplishments that made you feel happy, right? About being, being alive and succeeding. Joy, on the other hand, is different. Our Bible teaches that joy comes from the Lord and our service to the Lord. David said in Psalm 43, 4, Then I will go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy, Yea, upon the harp, I will praise thee, O God, my God. Biblical joy comes from the Spirit at the time of salvation. You'll remember your discipleship memory verse, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, right? Biblical joy can come even during affliction. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. The first mention of joy is connected to an Old Testament physical victory of David over Goliath. 1 Samuel 18.6 says, And it came to pass as they came, when Davis, David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabarets, with joy, and with instruments of music. Paul's joy in the New Testament was connected to spiritual victory. So you see the kingdom, the two kingdoms again. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at, a, are, at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, started a sermon once this way. It says, O oh, cheerful, happy, joyous people, I wish there were more of you. Let the uppermost joy you have always be in Jesus Christ himself. He went on to say, despite your tribulation, take full delight in God, your exceeding joy this morning, and be happy in him. So true joy and fulfillment is connected with our relationship with God and working for internal fruit with God. We are joyful with what makes God joyful. 
We are miserable with what makes us happy. Paul said to the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So think about what really makes you joyful. It's all things outside of you, isn't it? It's not just having children, but raising them to be good, God-fearing kids. And praise God, we have two of them, and it's all by God's grace, because we weren't very good early on, for sure. It's the people that God has allowed you to lead to Christ. It's the people you have discipled or taught the Bible. These are the things you can look back and say, you know, I'm really joyful. This joy can be so strong and permanent, you can be joyful even in the middle of bad times. Think about the people you've invested in that can make you smile even on the worst day. I mean, I can look at Corey and Jeff and Mark and Carla and Chris and Alicia and the whole string of people we've discipled for 20 years almost. I still am in contact with Brett and Adrian Miller, some of our first disciples that is very young, soon-to-be newlyweds we discipled, and they now have kids that, were, that are the age they were practically when we discipled them. That makes you joyful. The people we're allowed to teach. The people we're allowed to counsel. When you look back on your life and say, what I do of value, it has nothing to do with, with, with shiny things or you know, money or you know, places at the lake or those things. Those things that make you joyful are so joyful they can make you feel great and joyful, grateful and joyful, even in bad times. The Bible also tells us that even future joy is worth our sacrifice now. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of, of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. So the application of this, Solomon, throughout 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, admits total defeat in his attempts to make himself happy. In the very last verses of Ecclesiastes, happiness-focused Solomon finally wakes up and flips his thinking back to God, and the judgment of what he's done for God. It ends with 12.13. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. But at this point, it was too late. Solomon focused his life on himself and was completely unfulfilled. Solomon prayed early on in one of his great prayers to God to be you know humble kind to you know merciful to his people Israel if they sinned and repented turn to them turn back to them accept them back love them 
There's no record of Solomon ever doing that in the Bible, though, after he went chasing after false gods. We hope he did. He clearly understood it early. There is not one verse that I could find that said Solomon repented and turned back to God. Can you imagine somebody who may have, who, who wrote incredible books of the Bible who may not be in heaven? Think about that. We pray he did. But we have that opportunity. Paul, throughout the New Testament, shows us that the life of a serving Christian is hard but very fulfilling. Paul concludes 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. But thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the word or in the Lord. Solomon lived a life of vanity. Here Paul tells us precisely the way to avoid vanity. And this is, like I said, probably one of the last times I'll teach out of Ecclesiastes. So I've set some, some time that we can talk about some questions that I have for us here. First question, where in your life are you trying to live more like Solomon than like Paul? What in your life is enticing you to seek happiness of this world more than the joyful, fulfilling life serving Christ? We're all here at church. We all love God. We all want to serve God. But, but what's really deep down inside? What is your main passion? Is it a bigger house? New cars? Fancy vacations? Better position at work? A lot of people get addicted to work. Is it a political office or cause? Kenny was talking about the, the, how emphatic people get on COVID and on the race relations and all that. What, what's your main goal? What have you spent the most of your time on in the last couple months? Maybe it's just your kids. You know, your kids can become an idol. There are so many kids, married couples, on fire for the Lord, serve the Lord, have a family, vanish. You get so busy with the kids. What are your idols? What's trying to take you away? Just my observation from Life Fellowship. I think we probably have a third or more people in Life Fellowship that are truly dedicated to serving the Lord and doing it well. I think we have probably a third that are on their way to that or, or mostly bought in or partly bought in. I think we probably have a third that really aren't. And you have to ask yourself why. And husbands, this is all on you. As you go, your family will go. And God holds you fully accountable. So for those not serving, what are you valuing more than the joy of the service of the Lord? Do you really think it's going to work out differently than it did for Solomon, who had everything and was the smartest guy on earth? Will you get to the end of your life and say it was a waste? What excuses are you giving yourself for not fully plugging in and serving God? For those who are serving, 
Remember, Solomon started out right. He had everything, including sitting at King David's feet as he played the Psalms. But then got off track. What's enticing you? What's tempting you? What's trying to pull you away from your service of the Lord? Where are your thoughts? It all starts with your thoughts. What do you, what do you identify as the biggest threat right now? Where is Satan trying to deceive you? And that's what it is. So we all need to focus and continually battle to be more like Paul and less like Solomon. More like Ephesians and less like Ecclesiastes. And yet it's such a battle, isn't it? It's such a battle. So if you're struggling in this area or want to explore it further, um, we've created a video series during this shutdown time where we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes chapter by chapter and laid it out as a video Bible study. You can feel free to look at that for yourself. We also intentionally made it to be good as a, as a starter for an at-home Bible study, including lost people. Through, it, through Ecclesiastes, there's several good opportunities to share the gospel. If you have people that you know that are just totally money-focused or totally work-focused or totally focused on the things of this world and think they don't have time for God, this would be a good thing to help you get a relationship started and a Bible study started. The link is there on your, on your page. But we designed it both for our own people and for outreach Bible studies. And we cover Solomon's heirs and intentionally communicate the gospel. So as we wrap up Ecclesiastes, take some time. We've got about 15 minutes left. Take a little bit of that time to just reflect and ask yourself, okay, which group am I in? Am I fully in? What is trying to take me away? And is it working? And how do I get out of that trap? Satan's good. He's so simple, but it always works, doesn't it? Less of the flesh, less of the eyes, pride of life. Greed, sex, money. I mean, you look at all of men's gods that fail, you can almost put, just put them in those categories, can't you? But men, it's on you to lead your family to either succeed and have a life of fulfillment or to get to the end of it and have emptiness. So let's pray.